0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes listen safely
2: can't wait the presenting sponsor for today's episode of can't wait is visa a network working for everyone welcome into the can't wait podcast i'm marissa morris joined by the athletics jets beat writer connor hughes who is already in denver we are turning the page from the jets ugly loss to the patriots in week two we are not going to talk about sam darnold and the 3-0 panthers it's friday And we're gonna make this a positive podcast as we preview the Broncos, right, Connor?
1: We're gonna try. We're gonna try. I say it was. I was positive that I won. Like uh, I won. I won a decent amount of money off of Sammy and the and uh, the Panthers last night. I saw that line was uh, was under double digits starting the third string quarterback. So we jumped all over that one and and at least made it a decent day. But I'll tell you what, I am like dragging right now because we had like our flight was delayed two and a half hours. There's obviously the two-hour time change, and we're staying in Boulder, Boulder tonight, so it's like, it was a, I had to drop Andy off at his airport, because we ran into each other outside of the bag terminal. He gave the absolute worst directions of anyone I've ever come in contact with in my life, and had me turn around 17 different times to get to his freaking hotel, so it took longer to get there. Drop him off. Bree and I finally get to my hotel here, and now it's like, you know, we get in bed at, at three, probably in fall asleep 3.30 and now it's, you know, 8 a.m. local time and I'm talking to you guys about the Jets. So I'm, I'm dragging a little bit. I'm going to hopefully wake up in the process of this podcast because right now I'm uh, feet in the sand.
2: All right. Well, I'm not going to – this is not a surprise, but we're going to start the podcast with Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. After his four-interception game versus the Patriots, we're going to move past that and we're going to look ahead to this week. Mike LaFleur said, Wilson got right back to work this week. What has this week been like for Zach Wilson as he's trying to bounce back? How is the rookie QB's confidence as he heads into Week Three?
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing, Marissa, and, and we've talked about this a ton with Zach. Is that his confidence is unwavering? You know, his his he's not the player that you have to worry about going off on the sideline and saying I'm seeing ghosts, like what happened with Sam. He's not the guy that's going to get so flustered and so broken off a game that he kind of goes into his shell and suddenly starts wondering, can I play? Can I do this? Did I miscalculate this? Why am I not still at BYU? You know what I mean? I mean, he's going to make his mistakes. He's going to take his lumps. He's going to have games that are like the one you saw against the Patriots. But I think Robert Sala, not even so much LaFleur, is the one who said it best because we asked him this week, like, did you ever consider taking Zach out? Because that's happened. You know, sometimes you don't want the rookie to do more damage than good to his psyche. So you take him out of the game, you let someone else finish it. You know, there was a, a game that actually um, Eli Manning referenced during that, uh, the dual broadcast that like he and Peyton do on Monday Night Football. Can we just
2: pause and say how awesome that's been?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's been really Very cool. cool. I mean, you know, those two guys are good on air and, and they're funny and they have personalities, so you know cool. it was going to be good. Yeah, um, they, uh, Pey- uh, Eli was talking about how um, – you know, or they were making a joke when Ray Lewis was on about the game that, you know, Eli was calling out the wrong Mike linebacker and he finished the game with like a 0.0 quarterback rating. Uh, Tom Coughlin in that game actually took Eli out and put Kurt Warner back in, even though and let Kurt Warner finish that game. Now, granted, there is no veteran quarterback like Kurt Warner on this Jets roster, but still there are times when you're like, you know what, just get him out there, get someone else in there, let him finish the game. So that there's, like I said, not more damage that we're, d- doesn't do more damage than good. Um Salah said the reason why he never even considered doing that is he saw Zach's eyes and he saw that he never wavered. He never changed. He never gave off the impression that he was lost. Yeah, he made throws. Yeah, he made mistakes. Yeah, he did things that he shouldn't have done. And, and he, in a way, cost the Jets that game because, you know, a 19 point deficit and 16 points come off of turnovers. I mean, that is the quarterback's fault. But this was never a situation where I think this was going to be weeks of him being a funk because of this one game. This was never going to be something where he walked in the locker room hanging his head. I think Salah was the one, or not Salah, I'm sorry, LaFleur was the one who said it. He was ready to get right back out there after. it. He wanted to immediately go back and get foot. He wanted to correct everything he did and get that taste out of his mouth. It's like a bad round of golf. It's no different than a bad game of football. It's like when you have it, the one thing you want to do is just shake it off and go to the next one and make it and just get the new feeling in your mouth, not the bad one. And that's something with Zach where I don't think the Jets have any concerns about it. They have worries about different things. They have things, other areas of his game they need to be a little concerned about where just, you know, it's a rookie, not, they shouldn't even say concern, I think that's the right word, just developing and coming along and things like that where you're a rookie quarterback. Um, his confidence is not one of them. He's not shaken. He's not broken. He's He's ready to go.
2: Jameson Crowder did not practice Wednesday and Thursday is, does he look like he's going to play on Sunday?
1: Uh, no, I mean, we're going to know more actually right as we log off of this podcast, um, because that's when Robert Saul is going to talk to us. So we're going to have a chance to actually find out what his designation is, but, You know, the Jets had said that they were like, you know, we're we're hoping to get Crowder back this week. Like, what you're kind of learning about the Jets is that that doesn't mean that he's actually going to play. When they say, like, oh, he's probably going to, that's a better sign. When they said we're hoping, probably not. So he didn't do anything on Wednesday. Uh, He didn't do anything when we were there on Thursday. We're going to see what he does today. But when you have two DNPs on Wednesday and Thursday, that's usually not a great sign for him playing. And, And I think that you know, I, I know Jet fans get it get up in arms because they don't want you know Braxton Berrios to have the targets that he has. They don't want Braxton Berrios to be in, on the field as much as he has. But I mean, he's a reliable, serviceable player. He's one of those guys that is always going to be in the right place at the right time. He's always going to be somebody that, when all things break down and and the Jets want to play this boring ball, Jameis or uh, Braxton Berrios is going to be on the location on the field where he's supposed to be, where Zach can easily go to him. So when Corey's not there deep and he doesn't have Keelan and he doesn't have Elijah, he can say, okay, I know where Braxton is. Just go bang, 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 my reads aren't there. Get it to Braxton, pick up the easy four or five. And he can do that six or seven times a game for a decent amount of chunk yardage and, and plays that are you know can can pick up first downs. And I think uh, Michael Nania, the, the guy who does all the numbers, uh, went back and watched a lot of the film because we're still waiting for like that all 22 to come back on game pass. Uh, He had gone back and said that I I saw a tweet from him that he found Crowder was actually open for first downs on like two or three different third downs or something along those lines. Um, uh, Barrios, I'm sorry. And Barrios is going to be the guy that I think like if Crowder's out, the Jets are going to miss Crowder because Crowder is an above average slot receiver. They're going to miss Crowder because he's a very good player. But there's not a crazy huge drop off between him and Barrios because Barrios is the guy that is still reliable, is still serviceable, he's still always where he's supposed to be at the right point in time. And uh obviously they they're it's not great. The crowd is probably not going to play, but they can survive it with barrios again.
2: Well one guy that will be uh, trying to disrupt all of that will be the Broncos, Von Miller. Um he is looks totally back to form after missing last season with an injury. Um the offensive line played a lot better last week and we saw a lot of improvements. But going up against Von Miller, what do you expect in that matchup? And is that a concern for Zach Wilson?
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing is, is I mean, I think if you can keep Zach Wilson upright, he can have some success. Now, obviously, the Patriots threw that theory out in the water when, or, or threw that in the trash when, when, obviously, Zach threw the four picks. But I think that's a little bit different because it is Bill Belichick. It is the New England Patriots. It was the first home game. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that played into that those struggles um, as much as it was uh, Zach Wilson. You know what I mean? I, I think that there were just, it was a tough matchup. I mean, there's a reason why Bill Belichick does what he does routinely to rookie quarterbacks. And I still will go down in the boat with Brandon Marshall and Ryan Fitzpatrick saying that if you give Zach Wilson time, he'll be able to have success back there. I think the kid can play and eventually everyone's going to see that the kid can play. It's just going to take a little bit of time and it's only going to take him to develop and the offensive line to come together. Now, I think that this offensive line right now works better than the one that they trotted out there week 1. You know, I, I kind of made a point of this in my story and, and people you know got up in arms who say, "Oh, how can you say the Jets are a better offensive line without Macai Beckton? How are they better without Macai Beckton?" Well, it's not necessarily about them being a better group from a talent perspective because they're not. Makai Becton's more talented than George Fant. He's more talented than Morgan Moses. But the grouping of George Fant, Elijah Vera, Tucker, Connor McGovern, Greg Van Roten, and Morgan Moses, that group worked together for three weeks when Makai Becton was out. Like, they worked together for three weeks while Makai Becton had the concussion. They then worked together the week leading into that game. So that's about a month of snaps and a month of playing together, a month of sitting together, and a month of watching film together. That these guys were all together for the Makai Becton grouping, where you move Fant to right tackle and Makai Becton takes over at left tackle, that group worked together for one week. And that was the week leading into the Panthers game. And you saw it. They weren't all on the same page. They weren't able to pick up stunts because they weren't able to communicate things of that nature. Now, when Zach Wilson stopped throwing interception, then one was holding the ball. I mean, that's when the Patriots were able to get home and hit him. You know, they had the four sacks or so a lot. all but I think three of those four came uh, after the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, I think the, the Jets only let up one sack in the first half. Now, again, when you attempt 10 passes and three of them are picked off or four of them are picked off, I mean, that plays a role in the defensive line not getting there because you're just throwing interceptions. But um, I think this grouping is the Jets' most efficient unit. Now, can they stop Von Miller? I mean, that's the the million dollar question. But what I will say is that right now, the Broncos are Von Miller and Will somebody please stand up? You know, Von Miller has three sacks. There isn't a single Bronco player who has another sack. Bradley Chubb obviously was just placed in the injured reserve. He's a remarkably talented defensive end. He's one of those guys that can feast when Von Miller's out there drawing those double teams. He's not out there anymore. So who's going to be that player that steps up for the Broncos? Who's going to be able to get home? So far through two weeks against the suspect Giants offensive line and uh, even, even in week two, I mean, the Broncos haven't been able – To get home if it hasn't been Von Miller. I mean, they're very low in rushes. They're very low in quarterback hits as well. So if the Jets can find a way to. I don't think you're ever going to shut down Miller. I don't think you're ever going to contain Miller, but if they can at least slow him slightly. There really hasn't been anyone else in this Denver defensive line that's shown a consistent ability to get home. And and obviously there's going to be other factors at play here, like the altitude, like the stadium. Like this is the fact, you know, Broncos are undefeated and this is their first home game uh, since the 2019 – or a, a game with fans since the 2019 season. So that place is definitely going to be rowdy and rocking. But it's going to be hard to shut down Von Miller. No one's been able to shut down Von Miller. But if the Jets can slow him – there's not really anyone else on that Bronco defensive line that's shown a consistent ability to get home and wreck a game. This isn't like the Panthers, where they had a group of players that could get home. This isn't like the Patriots, where you had uh, a, a defensive-minded cor- or a def- defensive minded coach, Bill Belichick, who could scheme ways to get pressure. I mean, you know, you could have three or four guys who could wreck a game with Carolina. That's not the case here with this team. It's basically Von Miller, and then, like I said, will somebody else please stand up? So if the Jets can at least slow Miller, I think that that bodes well for them being able to keep Zach Wilson upright.
2: We've talked also a lot about the run game on this podcast being the Jets bread and butter um, with Zach Wilson's four interceptions last week. And I know you talked a lot about him still having confidence, but do you see them going to the run more to try and, you know, get some points on the board, give Zach Wilson a lead potentially? Um how do you see that all shaking out?
1: Well, it's what you said. That's their bread and butter. I mean, that that's how the Jets want to. It's it's the forty nine er offense, right? I mean, I know it hasn't looked like the forty nine er offense because you know it's the it's floor calling. Sure? Yeah, yeah. The, the, ten, the ten points a game are a little different than what uh, Kyle Shanahan are doing over there, and obviously uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, you know, changes things up a little bit with the Packers, but um, they want to run the ball. That's what they want to do, and and I think Lafleur actually made a really interesting comment when we talked to him on Thursday, and it was that. You know, one of the reasons he believes they were able to have so much success running the ball against the Patriots, because they did. I mean, it was 150 mm-hmm. yards and almost five yards of carry average against the Patriots, was that the Patriots earned so much man coverage. Like, they manned up on the Jets from the first quarter all the way through the fourth. And what he said was that, you know, when you have, when you're playing man coverage and your eyes are on the man, it's sometimes hard for your eyes to be in the backfield. And even when your are linebackers and your eyes are on a tight end, your eyes are on your assignment, it's hard for your eyes to be in the backfield of what the running back's doing and things like that, which sometimes can can lead to uh, chunk yardage and, and impressive run plays. So I don't know what the Broncos and Vic Fangio are going to do. I don't know if it's going to be slightly different than that. I think that after the Jets went off for 150 last week, they're going to say, all right, let's shut down the run and make the rookie beat us. But that's going to be what the Jets want to do. That it was the case week one. That was the case week two. That's going to be the case weeks three through 18. I mean, that's what the Jets want to do. They want to run the football. They want to keep this on the ground. They want to break off chunk plays of 15 and 20 yards. But more than anything, I just want to guarantee that every time Zach Wilson turns around and hands the ball off to Tevin Coleman, to Ty Johnson, to Mike Carter, they're at least getting four to five at the minimum three and a half. Because if they can do that twice, you're setting up manageable third downs. If they can do that once, then hit you with a pass, then come back with another run, you're setting up manageable plays. You're moving the ball down the field. You're methodically working way up and down against the field, against the defense. And the other thing, too, is that we were just talking about Von Miller. The best way to mitigate that rush is to establish a run game, because suddenly you don't have a pass rush that can just pin their ears back and say, we're going to go get you. You know, Look at the first three quarters of that game against the Patriots compared to the last quarter against the Patriots. In that fourth quarter, the Patriots knew the Jets had to throw the ball. They knew Zach Wilson had to drop back. So that pass rush could pin their ears back and go after Zach Wilson. And what happened? Three sacks. They started getting after him. Zach was taking hits. Zach was getting beat up a bit against the Panthers. The Panthers shut down the run. So once they shut down the run on first and second down, they knew they could pin the Raiders back and go after Zach Wilson. What happens? Six sacks and ten quarterback hits. If the Jets can keep this game close, keep it within one or two possessions, and then also get that run game going like they did against the Patriots, you're not going to have a defense, and you're not going to have a player in Von Miller who can just say, "I know what's coming. I'm going to run up the field and go get the quarterback." Because if he does take that that approach, he's going to run himself out of the play, and the Jets are going to run the ball and they're going to take advantage of all that. So it's going to It's not going to be as easy, I think, as it was against the Patriots because the Patriots clearly said, like, all right, we'll give you the ground game and we're just going to focus on, like, shutting down, like, different areas there. And we're going to try to make Zach Wilson just throw the ball and we're going to take advantage of when he does. But if they're able to run the ball against Denver like they did against the Patriots, I think you're going to see a game that's significantly closer uh, down to the wire than what you did against New England.
2: All right, well, we are going to talk about Teddy Bridgewater and how the Jets are going to defend the Broncos' offense. We're going to give our game predictions. And, of course, it's Friday, so our can't-wait picks. But first, a message from our sponsors.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: I just have to, before we uh, get to the defense, I just have to read a comment we got in the chat from Terrence. um, After that NBA ad, he said, I want to see Marissa dunk Um, in January of 2020. I actually attempted, we lowered the rim and I sprained my ankle so bad that I um, couldn't walk on it for about 10 weeks. So yeah, you do not want to see me dunk. I used to be way. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, it was really, really bad. Probably if COVID didn't happen, I was going to have to go to a podiatrist, but then I was like, oh, I'm not leaving the house. So it doesn't really matter. I'll just sit, but
1: yeah, not so it's good. A 50-50, uh, it's a 50 50 chance then here that, that your, your kids here with Michael follow his path to the NFL.
2: Yeah. yeah I, was got
1: way,
2: I was way more athletic as a kid. I don't know where all of those um, genes disappeared to as I got older, but uh, yeah not, not, not the greatest. Um, I like to play sports, but just not the best. I like to talk about them more. Um, And I also like, like to talk about uh, stories and, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is a really, yeah, I'm trying to make the transition back to, you know, on track to the rundown, but Teddy Bridgewater is a crazy story. I mean, he's bounced around everywhere and he's having a really great year. He is a former jet, um, old friend. He signed with the Jets in March of 2018, but then was traded to the Saints at the end of training camp. What do you remember about Bridwater's time in New York, Connor? Well,
1: he was the best quarterback that camp. I, I think I think that was obvious. And, and you know, the, the whole thing with the Jets signing Teddy was like, you know, they, they were obviously in negotiations with with Kirk Cousins. They went down to the wire. It's, it's infamous now that the Jets actually offered Kirk Cousins more money than the Minnesota Vikings. Gave him the same guaranteed contract. And as Kirk Cousins showed on his Facebook page that the Jets had no – or Facebook TV show or whatever the hell that was. The Jets had no idea it was taking place. He basically says, the Jets offered me more money, but I'm still going to the Vikings. So, like, that's just a slap. It was just a, a, a classless thing that Kirk Cousins did with that. I mean, it really was pathetic. But uh, he went elsewhere, so the Jets pivoted. And that was, like, Mike McCagnon's thing was that he had his plan that year. And his plan was that we were going to get Kirk Cousins – Or, if we didn't get Kirk Cousins, we were going to trade up in the draft to number three, where they thought they were trading up for Baker Mayfield. Or, and in addition to that, they were going to bring back Josh McCown and then they were going to sign Teddy Bridgewater. And I thought with Teddy Bridgewater was like, okay, here's an opportunity to bring in a kid who has now gotten healthy. He's got a clean bill of health. He's looking for an opportunity to play, he's looking for an opportunity to compete. And We might have a chance to sign a veteran quarterback who can start, who can win football games, who has proven to win football games and hold the fort down until the rookie that we draft is ready to go. Now, the thing with Teddy, though, is that it was never with the Jets about Teddy Bridgewater. It was never about who was going to be the best quarterback in camp. It wasn't about was Josh McCown. Because remember, that was the year they had Josh McCown, Sam and Teddy. So it was never about. Who was the best quarterback of the three and that quarterback, that best quarterback of the three was going to start in week one against the Lions. It was going to be whenever Sam was ready, Sam was going to play. And I think we saw very, very early on uh, the joint practices against Washington were a time. But there were several just instances, practices where you saw like Sam was Sam didn't need to sit. Sam was ready to start in the NFL. He was ready to be out there week one and and start taking his bumps, taking his bruises, and start his development. Very similar to Zach Wilson, where the Jets were like, "All right, this kid's ready to play. So why even bring in the veteran?" Which is another topic for another day. But why bring in the veteran? We know we're going to start the rookie. We'll go with Mike White behind. I I can't get into that now. I I don't have the. I I can't rant about that today. But I it was we actually
2: we actually did get some questions about that in the chat. That do you think the Jets don't have this veteran guy because. The media and the fans would be calling for no. that veteran guy to come in. No, no,
1: no, okay. One, no. Okay, it's always, no. okay. It would I'm have just, I'm just communicating. No one, what no, the... one cl- no seriously, no. I get that, but like, no one clamored for Teddy to play. No one's, everyone's okay. ripping the hell out of the 49ers because Trey Lance isn't playing. They're ripping the hell out of the Bears because uh Justin Fields isn't playing until this week. But no, it's it's not that at all. Like, yeah, no but one...
2: if there was a veteran guy behind Zach Wilson, say last week in that Patriots game after four interceptions, do you say bring in? x get the get this rookie out of the game no because after what Sal said
1: about his eyes like I mean if Zach's like if he looks like a fish out of water then yes like if he looks like a fish out of water then absolutely do it and absolutely bring him in you say like there's you know yeah this is like the Eli Manning thing Eli had a 0.0 quarterback rating against the Ravens and was trying to identify a mic and the mic was telling him no I'm not the mic he's the mic and like that's when you know okay it's time to sit down and it's time to take a breather it's time to take a break that wasn't Zach was making bad reads. Zab was making Zach was making bad. But his lumps he's taking now, which will benefit him down the road. There was never a point where it was like, just you know, get like get him out of the game. He needs to, he's a detriment to himself right now. Like it was never that. It it really wasn't. It it was not. So no, it wasn't. No, it was never that. The difference was with Teddy was like he was undeniably the best quarterback in camp that year. Like he was, and he should have. If you're going based off of just performance. Teddy played well enough to turn around and say, okay, let him work with the starters. But what the Jets also saw was that Sam Darnold, like I said, was ready to play. Like Sam was at a point now where it wasn't like he needed to sit. He needed to observe. He could, He was showed enough where he was willing to – and the Jets thought process, which is what every team's thought process should be, is that once the rookie's ready, get the rookie out there. Let him take his lumps now because it's going to benefit him in week three compared to week two, week five compared to week four week 10 compared to week eight and so on and so forth. And definitely in year two and definitely in year three, assuming you sound around your quarterback with protection of playmakers, which obviously the jets didn't do. So what the jets did was they just played Teddy against the twos in every preseason game. And they played him against the twos in practice and their thought process. And one of the reasons why they just did not give him second team or first team reps in the preseason is like, Just let the guy go beat up on the second team. Let him go take care of second team defenses and third team defenses and look really, really good against second team defenses and third team defenses so that you kind of boost his value a little bit. And then eventually someone will call us and we can flip Teddy for a draft pick. And that's what they did. Now, Teddy made a great impact. Every player here loved him. Todd Bowles loved him. Jeremy Bates loved him. Josh McCown and Sam Darnold loved him. I mean, Teddy was the life of the party, just like he was in New Orleans. And just like he's going to be now in Carolina, like he's a player that people gravitate towards. They just like Denver. Yeah, sorry. Um,
2: (laughs) Sam Darnold's the one in Carolina. No, he was in Carolina
1: last year, though. So he was (laughs) in Carolina last year, Denver this year. Sorry, like I said, still bringing it all together. But um, everywhere he goes, he is the life of the party. Everywhere he goes, he is the player that everyone wants to be around. And he was that way with the Jets as well. But with the Jets, it was never about Teddy. It was never about what Teddy was going to do. It was always about when Sam Darnold was ready to play, Sam Darnold was going to play. And Sam Darnold showed very early on in training camp that he was going to be ready to go. So it was just about getting Teddy stocked to a point where the Jets could get something back for him. And they did. You know, They sent him to the Saints where they got back. I think it was a, a second-round pick, right? It was a decent amount of draft compensation from the Saints. And um, you know, now the Jets get to see him for the first time.
2: Yeah, so Teddy today um, is having an excellent season. Um, I mean, this was versus the Jaguars last week, but twenty six for thirty four, three hundred and twenty eight yards, and two touchdowns. The Jets defense has been playing well throughout the first two weeks. But yeah. what it what is their game plan to defending him, and uh, how do you see this all shaking out?
1: Well, I know he's averaging like ten yards a car or ten yards a pass or something like that, or ten yards a attempt. But like, make him a thing about it. Teddy's not a a bomber. Teddy's not going to throw it. 75 yards down the field Teddy's not gonna take the huge huge shots I mean he is limited in what he can do somewhat with his arm because he does not have the strongest arm arm in the NFL he also doesn't have the ability to make every throw in the NFL like on in the book like that's the thing is it's not about everyone having like uh, ben Roethlisberger arm strength or Josh Allen arm strength or Zach Wilson arm strength or Pat Mahomes arm strength. You don't need that, but you need the ability to make every throw and Teddy can't put it. Teddy can't hit the out from the opposite hash 20 yards on a line on a rope. He just, he doesn't have the arm strength, but he does other things very well. He's mobile within the pocket. He does not make mistakes. He can dink and dunk with the best of them. And when there's the guy open 15 yards down the field, he's going to find him. Like he's going to find the open guys. So for the jets, I think it's, it's, It's honestly just going to come down to the the defensive line. I think it's going to be like, I'm not necessarily worried about the Broncos rushing attack. I'm not worried about the Broncos receivers. I'm not necessarily worried that much about Teddy. But the thing is, is that when you have an offense that doesn't make mistakes, sometimes they can just, they'll outlast you. Like the, the Jaguars last week made more mistakes. The Giants, when they played the Broncos in week one, they made more mistakes. And when you make more mistakes than a team that doesn't make any you're going to lose the game. So for the Jets, I think they're going to have to be in a position where they get home. They're going to have to pressure Teddy. They're obviously going to have to take away the run because if you start getting beat up on the ground against a quarterback, that's going to dink and dunk and you open the play action pass and you're screwed. So they're going to have to take away the run, but assuming they can take away the run, which they've been able to do pretty well aside from Christian McCaffrey and one broken play where it was just a morally depleted Damian Harris touchdown run. I mean, they were able to take away that run against the Broncos or the the. Patriots like they were able to take the ground game out of the, out of the factor against the Patriots the the Panthers was Christian McCaffrey's unbelievable like that's just I don't think there's like I mean you saw it last night too like there's just there's so many like it's just very hard for a team to take away Christian McCaffrey in fact the only person that can stop Christian McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey's hamstring like that's pretty much it um but I think if you can take away the ground and then just pressure the quarterback and you have to constantly, constantly, consistently be in Teddy's phase and hope you can punch a ball out, force the turnover, hope you can get him to throw one of the five interceptions he's going to throw this season. If you can get him to that point, defensively, I think the Jets can keep him in this game. And then what it's going to come down to is what it came down to week one, what it came down to week two, can the Jets offense score enough points? That's honestly what this is, because what we've seen, which I did not think was going to be the case, when this season started, I thought that the Jets defense was going to be this team's Achilles heel. I thought that it was going to be games of 35-28, you know, 31-23. You know, there were going to be games where the Jets offense, you know, was was looked good and the Jets defense just could not stop a nosebleed. And instead, the Jets trotted out a defensive performance week 1 that was good enough to win. They trotted out a defensive performance in week 2 that was good enough to win. They just haven't gotten anything from the offense that's averaging 10 points a game, which is not good like it's just not it's not you need more than that and, and it's kind of been a script that i didn't see coming but if the jets offense can get out of its own way finally and the defense can can force some turnovers and just not fall like shut down the run and force some turnovers i think that the jets have the ability to keep this one close i do but obviously like we haven't seen an offense that can score points you know what i mean and and the defense is playing in mile high playing here in this altitude it's gonna play a role so i think more than anything it's going to come down to shut down the quarterback or shut down the run and pressure the quarterback. That's the two things the Jets need to do. Uh, Absolutely. If they want to keep this one close.
2: All right. Well, Connor is going to give his uh, final score predictions and we are going to do our can't wait picks, but first one more quick message from our sponsors. All right, Connor. It's time for our predictions. The Jets 0 2. Where do you see this one going in Denver?
1: Um, I think they saw the line. What is the line officially at, at the moment? Like okay, I wanted to bring that up. Did you know? Like the Jets. Um,
2: I'm not sure. Let's let's pull up that MGM and uh check that one out. Um, this is live podcasting. <laughs> uh this is ten and a
1: half. Uh, I went at a 10 and a half as of two days ago. Yes. Yeah, ten and a half. and so That's a thick line. So, I mean, I don't think the Jets win this game. I think they're going to fall at 0 and 3. That, that's no doubt in my mind there. Um, but I will say that I think that uh, I, 10 and a half is pretty thick. And the one thing that the Jets have done defensively is that They've shown they can keep offenses in check, which is something that we didn't think would happen. And when you see lines that bolster up and boost up this much to 10 and a half, 11 and a half, 12 and a half, I mean, those are big lines. Usually that's when the defense is really, really bad. I think Zach Wilson is going to have a bounce back game. I think Zach Wilson is going to be better. I think the fact that Bradley Chubb's not playing and really the only player that the Broncos have is Von Miller, who the Jets are going to put a tackle on, a tight end on, and a running back on probably all at the same time just to make sure he doesn't get through. I think the Jets' offense is going to be better. I think Zach Wilson is going to be better. I think the defense, if you base based off of what you've seen the first two weeks, can keep this one respectable. And if that's the case, a ten and a half line in the NFL is big. I mean, that's that's a that's a, a an eleven point victory they need to cover that game. Uh, I think the Jets will cover here. Unfortunately, I felt this way against the Patriots too; is dead wrong. Although you know the offense did literally anything, it is a close game. Um, so I'm I'm taking the Jets plus ten and a half just to get the points there. But it's not my pick for the week. It's not one of my three picking. But because we just do the Jets games, uh, I am going to take the uh, the Jets ten and a half because I think they'll. I think the defense will be able to keep the Broncos' offense in check reasonably well, uh, and then I think the Jets' offense will be better. So maybe a seven point game, maybe a ten point game, but having that half point on the ten and a half spread, I think is big. I could easily say, not interrupt you, I could honestly see as being like a thirty to twenty game, something like that. You know what I mean? And and if that's Mm -hmm. the case, it covers.
2: All right. Well, we are going to give our picks, but real quick, maybe not real quick, depending on your answer on this one, because this is a pretty loaded question, but the Jets, if they do fall 0-3, how does the pressure mount on Joe Douglas?
1: Well, I don't think the pressure mounts on Joe Douglas if they fall to 0-3, because they've pretty much said that this is a rebuilding season. They know they're not going to be very good. Like, There's so many things... Playing in Douglas is like, it's just, it's, it's, that's, it is what it is. Like that's, that's the fate. It's, it's a rebuild first year coach, first year quarterback. They lost to three pretty decent teams there. It's not, it's not going to destroy Joe. D- it's not like Joe Douglas is still on the hot seat. In fact, barring Owen 17, I don't think there's anything that can happen this year that would legitimately put Joe like, oh, we might make a change of general manager. Like other than 0-17, there's nothing there. With that said, it's absolutely reason to start thinking about criticizing Joe. It's absolutely to the point where you can start to wonder if it's right. Now, I've been told by so many people and heard so many people sing this guy's praises and say, he's the right pe- he's the right one, he's the right one, he's the right one. And maybe he is. I mean, that's why I'm believing in it, because I've had people that are a lot smarter than me, people that know a lot more football than me, say the Jets got this one right. That holy cow, how did the Jets actually manage to sign Joe Douglas? How'd they get him here? He's the right call. But if you look at this one in a vacuum and you just analyze what he has done and his job as a general manager so far, you want to see progress. You want to see legitimate steps in the right direction. It shouldn't take 12 years to rebuild a team. You should look. I'm not saying the Jets should be a playoff team this year. I'm not saying the Jets should be very good this year. I'm not saying the Jets should even be a decent team this year. But you should see the progress coming forward. You should see the visual evidence that the Jets are becoming a better football team week in and week out, year in and year out. The 2019 season where the Jets finished seven and nine, that was not Joe Douglas's team. That was Mike McCagney's team. That was Mike McCagney who ran free agency that year. That was Mike McCagnon who picked the coach that year. That was Mike McCagnon who ran the draft that year. The only thing that Joe Douglas really did was try to uh, band-aid fix the center position because Mike ignored it and bring in Ryan Cleo, which obviously didn't work, but it was the, I don't fault Joe for that because what else was he supposed to do in that moment? Like there was nothing else he could do. So he took a flyer and tried to see if, you know, he could squeeze a little juice out of that, a little last juice out of that orange. Mike or Joe's first year as GM where he had the draft in free agency, the Jets went 2-14. Mike's second Joe's second year, I'm sorry, as general manager, the Jets are trending towards 0-3, potentially a 3-4 at best five-win season, probably closer to three or four win season this year. That'd be five five wins in two years as a general manager. And the whole thing with with coachings and 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 stuff like that is that there's always a crosshair on somebody when a team's not winning. Like there is somebody who's gonna receive the blame when somebody when the team is not performing well. And When Adam Gase was here, it was Adam Gase. So Joe avoided the bullets. When Adam Gase got fired, they replaced him with Robert Sala. Robert Sala is now on the honeymoon. Joe Douglas is over. So I'm not willing to say yet, like, oh, fire Joe after this year, after a three or four win team. But I think we talked about a little bit on the podcast last week, Marissa, is that what I'm very curious to see, what I'm very fascinated to see, is that if the Jets go – with 3 wins, 4 wins this year, which is kind of what I see them getting, say four wins, and Joe is Joe has 6 wins in his first two his first two years as a general manager. Does he feel some pressure from Woody Johnson who's now back to turn this around quicker and will you see his off-off-season approach in free agency change because he's been the guy that even when he gives out quote-unquote big money deals they're not real big money deals. You know what I mean? Like the Jets can get out of this loss this and deal, this Carl and deal after two years. They can get rid of Corey Davis after two years. Like every contract has something built in after two years. This is not like the CJ Mosley deal. This isn't like the Tremaine Johnson deal. This isn't like the Mo Wilkerson or Darrell Rivas deal where there's like, you're locked into a player and you're paying them a ton of money. I'm curious if Joe ramps things up this coming off season and is much more aggressive, feeling the heat a little bit because... Obviously, the 2021 draft class looks pretty good, right? Like, that one looks pretty decent. It looks like the Jets got some pretty good players. If you believe in Zach Wilson, Farrah Tucker, Moore, Mike Carter, Mike Carter, all those things. Um, But obviously, the jury's still out because it's a rookie class. The 2020 class doesn't look really good. It really doesn't. I mean, Makai Becton was having a bad summer. And aside from him having a bad summer, durability was a big concern of his coming out of Louisville. He missed a ton of time in year one, and now he's missing a ton of time in year two. So the Jets drafted a guy who had injury concerns and some durability concerns, and now, in his first two years, has had durability and injury concerns. Denzel Mims cannot get on the field. He's your second-round pick. Jabari Zuningo, one of the Jets' third-round picks, he's cut and on the practice squad. LaMichael P. Ryan, who Denzel Mims not playing and constantly being a healthy and, act- or healthy and active last week, probably a healthy and active this week. Has hidden the fact that Lamichael P. Ryan, the Jeffs fourth round pick, is also a healthy and active. James Morgan, a fourth round pick, he's on the, uh, the, the Panthers practice squad. Ashton Davis, he's on the injured reserve. I mean, Br- uh, Bryce Hall, I think, is a solid player. I think he's a solid corner. I think he's shown that he can be a player in the NFL. I don't know if he starts on too many other NFL teams. He's probably like a guy that's coming off the bench, or like, a, I don't know if he's a starter. I mean, it's just congratulations that Jeff's got a punter in that 2020 class. But for a guy that is in Joe Douglas, who is heralded for his drafting ability, that 2021 class raises serious concerns. And eventually, like I said, you can't expect to get eight years to rebuild a team. You need to see substantial proof that you're headed in the right direction. Two and 14 year one to three or four wins in year two, that's not substantially improving anything. I mean, that that's... If the if the Jets don't start playing competitive football, if the Jets don't start seeing a lot from these guys that Joe has drafted, you're absolutely going to see the heat turned up for next year. And it's going to be a lot of heat for next year. And that's where I'm going to be curious to see if Joe changes his offseason approach, as we talked about earlier in the week. And, and it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch because we've praised Joe Douglas a lot. About the number of draft picks that he's acquired, and that deserves praise. Like the amount of draft picks he's acquired deserves praise. But here's the thing: draft picks only matter when you pick the right players. And in 2020, it's early, but it doesn't look like the Jets picked the right players in 2020. Then obviously, jury's out in 2021 because their NFL careers are two games old.
2: All right. Well, like you said, only time will tell. And also, only time will tell for our can't wait picks. <laughs> Last week, I like that. not that great um we were all one and two so first week we did them we'll give us a break but you want to kick things off with uh which teams you're going with this week Connor
1: yeah so the first one I'm going to go with and and it's honestly it's just one of those things where in my opinion I I don't think Carson Wentz is playing so the first game I'm going to is Colts at the Titans Titans haven't looked great this year it's actually been a little concerning somewhat of, of how they've looked I know they finally look like they got Derrick Henry in the ground game going but they had a stinker in the opener. Um, and a little bit more of like, the, I just, I don't know. I thought the Titans would be, I believe pretty heavily in Ryan Tannehill and the Titans entering this year. And I've been a little hesitant with what I've seen, but I will say that when they're playing a team in the Colts who look like they're going to be without Carson Wentz, they're at home. It's a divisional game. I know the Colts are a a hungry and feisty 0 two but I just don't believe what they've got back up behind Carson Wentz is going to be able to keep this one close. So Tennessee minus five and a half. I like that line a lot. I think this could be a seven-point game. I think this could be a ten-point game. I think it could actually balloon out, especially if the Titans' defense comes to play against the backup Colts quarterback. So I think there's probably still some hope there from Vegas that Carson Wentz gets out there, and that's why the game isn't isn't much higher than that. So if you can jump in now and get that at five and a half, assuming Carson Wentz doesn't play, I like that one a lot. So that's a game I like. Um, the other one that I'm going to bet is actually the Eagles at the Cowboys. The Eagle or the Cowboys right now are favored by three have- and a half.
2: I have that one, too. Unfortunately, yeah. same pick as you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm going Cowboys. I think you saw last week the Jalen Hurts hype train come a little bit back down to earth when you're not playing a really bad Atlanta Falcons team. So I like the Cowboys. I think Dak Prescott is back. I think that offense is loaded. I think the offensive line is going to continue to get better. I think their defense with Dan Quinn is also surprisingly – I don't think they're great. They're not a top-five unit. I don't know if they're going to be a top-ten unit, but I think they're competent. And when you have an offense that can score like Dak Prescott and the and the Cowboys can, competence is fine on the defensive side of the ball because you're going to score – I mean, you can spot their opponent 21 points, and you're still probably going to score 34 yourself. So that's not that bad. Uh, I think that Hurts, though, came back down to earth. I think the Eagles are not a very good football team. They're going to feel that Brandon Graham injury. I saw Brandon Brooks now is probably out a chunk of time too. With the, I think it's a pectoral injury or triceps. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what it was, pectoral. but okay. So I like the Cowboys a lot in that game, especially um, at three and a half. I think that line is low. Cowboys being home, I think people are still. Um, I think people are blowing up the Eagles a little bit more than they should for beating a really bad Falcons team. I don't think people realize how bad Atlanta is going to be this year, um, and so that line's a little bit low. So give me Dallas minus three and a half to go with. Obviously Tennessee minus five and a half. And then I'll also go with a dog, and that's the Packers on, on the road against the 49ers. I know the 49ers are 2-0, and but Jimmy G has not looked very good this year, and Kyle Shanahan seems devoted to him anyway, almost to a fault. Trey Lance should be playing. I think the Packers were slapped in the face week one. I think they were embarrassed week one, and I think you saw against the Lions – what a motivated, angry, and pissed off Aaron Rodgers can do. So this line right now is st- surprisingly to me, the Packers are are dogs. They're three-point dogs. I like the Packers outright in this game, but I especially like them, giving them like being spotted a field goal. So give me the Packers plus three. So my three picks for the week, Titans minus five and a half, Cowboys minus three and a half, and then the Packers plus three.
2: All right. Well, I will read Tim's picks really quick because he is also picking the Packers plus three. He also is picking the Jets plus ten and a half. So there you go. After last week, he picked against the Jets. Um, He is riding with the Jets this week. And then he is also doing Patriots minus three. I, on the other hand, am doing Cowboys minus three and a half versus Eagles, like you said, I'm also pretty big on the Ravens, minus eight versus the Lions. I know that's a big spread, but the Ravens looked really, really good versus the, the Chiefs last week. So we will see on that one. And then, as you mentioned, the Falcons have not looked great. So I'm going with the G-Men, minus two and a half, I think, after, there you go. after that uh, devastating loss on Thursday Night Football last week. They're going to come out firing, so we shall see. But uh, any final thoughts, Connor, before we wrap this thing up and you go explore Denver?
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's it for me. That's that's all, all for me. I might actually take a little nap now after this one. This is this is. I'm telling you, that commute was. It was like Brian. I get to the airport. We found out it delayed two and a half hours. Then it's like a long flight in general. The dropping Andy off, getting here, checking in. There was a problem checking. It, it was just. It was a the commute. The commute from hell. It really mm-hmm. is. So I'm 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 dragging today. I'm hoping to get a, a second wind here in a little bit.
2: All right. Well, sleepy Connor. Um, thank you guys all for tuning in again. If you have not subscribed to the athletic, it is still 50% off. If you go to the athletic.com slash can't wait, we will be back on Monday morning to recap the Jets game versus the Broncos. Have a great weekend, everybody. And we will talk to you soon.